Started. I just also wanted to share just a couple announcements. Uh, one is we're having online bingo on Thursday. This is not a joke. Online bingo on Thursday at 6:30. If you want to participate, you can email Michelle at Living Spring. Michelle at Living Spring. And then also, if you go on our website, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have online prayer. Um, we change that link each time, so you'll ha- so don't save it in your don't save the link. Just go to Living Spring, and um, you can see it there, and you can join us in prayer. Uh, every week, we, we assume that you're with your kids, and so every week we try to have some type of kids uh, teaching, and this morning we have an awesome one. Um, uh, the Dodsons and the Mosses uh, created something really special for your kids, so we're going to check that out now. Hi, my name is Robin. And I go to your church. I also play pool for a living. You can believe that or not. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. And the story I'm going to tell you, I'm going to use pool balls. Okay? So, we all know what's going on, right? We all have to stay at home. So the first thing I want to do with these balls is I want to build our house. And these balls are representing our house. These balls are going to represent you guys at your house. The one thing that we do know is this virus is keeping us inside. And that is not a lot of fun. So hopefully this story will help you getting in trouble and so do I. I've got a trampoline outside but it's raining. I can't even go out and play on it. This quarantine is really driving me nuts. I am bored. Give me a break. I love school. I haven't been to school in weeks now. I miss being outside and playing with my friends on the playground. This virus scares me. Hey, you two, you don't look like you're six inches apart. And hey, quit your balling anyway. I signed up for Little League, and I haven't been able to play a single game. And guess what? I got a pass for Disneyland this year for Christmas. And do you think I can even go and see Goofy? All I get to do is wash my hands 20 times a day. I'm bummed. When is this virus going to be over? All right now, you're going to have to break it up because there's going to be some rumbling going on inside. I know there's going to be. But did you know that if you would just set aside your time for just a second and say, Jesus, I am so bored. Will you help me? He said he would. He said he would never leave you. 
He would always be there with you. In this shot that I'm going to shoot, I'm going to show you that Jesus is actually inside your home with you right now. Just listen. He'll give you some great ideas on what you can do next, too. You don't have to grumble. Wow! Did you see that shot? And did you see the smile on her face when she went in the pocket? Wow, I did, number three. That was amazing. Number two was so happy. But did you see the smile on Jesus' face? He was so happy. He was as happy as number two was. You can be anywhere in your house and have a bad attitude. Okay, but it's the attitude of your heart that Jesus is looking at. And all you have to do is say, I'm sorry, help me. Give me some ideas. I want to have fun, even if it's in my house forever and ever and ever. Let's make this one. Jesus is coming. He's right there. All right, you guys, now you can be anywhere in your house. And I know that it's hard. I know that you're going to have bad days. But what are you going to do with it? You're going to say you're sorry. Tell your brother, tell your sister, I'm so sorry. Because really, it's the attitude of where you are in your heart. Jesus is with you. Just ask him for some ideas. Tell him you're bored. He'll be right there, I promise you. He will be with you. Good morning, Living Spring. Thank you, the Moss and Dodson Motion Picture Company. You guys are hilarious, and I hope we get many more videos from you all. So good morning, Living Spring. Welcome to Facebook Live. Thank you for joining us online and for interacting in the comment section. Even if we can't physically be together, it's so good to be together virtually this morning. So as you all know, we are in the third week of a sermon series called Relationships in Uncertain Times. So two weeks ago, Pastor John shared about how from the very beginning, we were created to be in relationship with one another. God created us in his own image. And we also talked a lot about some convicting things. We discussed the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' command to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek when people persecute us or upset us. And last week, I found even more powerful when we talked about the power of our words to create fires or to bring life. And John reminded us that Jesus says that the words that we speak to one another they reveal the state of our heart. So in light of all that we've been discussing and learning, how are we all doing in relationships in uncertain times in week eight of quarantine? What would our families say? What would our roommates say? How would they grade us? Um, on a slide coming up, I have a little meme that I found on Twitter, or someone sent it to me because I don't have a Twitter, but it said, um, well, it'll come up in a minute, but it said, waking up bright and early, ready to make my family mad. So are you more on that spectrum of things, or are you more angelic? The Sermon on the Mount is easy for you. It's all going well. Take a minute, reflect with Jesus. Where are you at this morning? What's going on? So I've been wrestling with, 
What do we do when the words that are coming out of our mouths, when they reveal a dark heart, when we're failing left and right to turn the other cheek, when we're forced to confront that sinners aren't those people over there, but we're sinning in our own hearts, and the people we love the most are stealing our quarantine snacks, using way too much toilet paper, and just really bugging us. So what do we do when we keep messing up and those we love and are probably forced to be with almost 24-7, when they keep messing up too? Hmm, do we just try harder to be nice? Um, put on fake smiles? Maybe download a bunch of self-help books and turn up our inner critic really loud? Or maybe we pretend like everything's great, I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine here. Or maybe we minimize, like I just said, and pretend that it's sin is for those other people over there. Or maybe we yell at God and say, God, if you knew what it was like to live with my family during quarantine, then you would understand. Or maybe we're just giving up on our new patterns of relating because we're like, we're in this middle of this global pandemic, why even try anymore? So I don't know what strategies you are applying during this time, or maybe honestly, this is a time where you're really growing and doing well. If so, praise God. But if you're struggling, if these strategies aren't working for you anymore, I want us to wrestle with God over this question. In the here and now, in the midst of a global pandemic, week eight of being at home, is there a path that we can follow? Is there a way forward for us to help us when we are perpetuating hurt against ourselves, against each other, and against God? One of the ways God has been inviting me forward in the midst of this time is through the messy and complex practice of forgiveness. So in my own experience, this is one of the hardest paths to follow, but it is also the path with the most potential to open up new possibilities and hope. I felt God leading me to share on this practice this morning because I think he wants to remind us that there's a different path he models for us, a path of forgiveness that can open us up to the abundant mercy, love, and goodness that God is longing to pour out on us. This morning, we will look closely at Jesus' teachings in the book of Matthew, where he tells his disciples what he really means when it comes to forgiveness. Then we'll discuss a few myths related to forgiveness, and we'll end by receiving communion together and praying for one another. So I invite you to bow your heads and please pray with me as we prepare our hearts to read God's word. Jesus, we thank you, God, that your word is living and active and it pierces through our blind spots, God. So we ask, Lord, that you would reveal your heart for us this morning. You would reveal your truth and your grace and your mercy. Show us what we need to know this morning, God. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So I invite you to turn now to the Gospel of Matthew and to the parable of the unmerciful servant 
in chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant out went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Whew. This is one of those convicting and heart-wrenching parables that really makes me want to take Thomas Jefferson's method of reading the Bible. So word has it that he would take a razor and cut out different sections of the Bible that he didn't like. So I'm really tempted to do that with this passage because it's so hard. But we're not going to do that. We're going to wrestle with God and we're going to ask God what good news he has for each of us in this text. When reading scripture, especially narratives in the gospel, it's helpful to know why is Jesus telling this particular parable at this particular moment? So when we look at the context of Matthew 18, we, say, or we see that it's all about Jesus training and teaching up his disciples about what it means to be this new church in the kingdom coming from heaven. So Jesus is telling them all about what a new church will look like. So throughout Matthew 18, first we see Jesus saying, a church in light of God's ways will prioritize children. They will humble themselves and become like children. Next we see that they will not despise the vulnerable ones. 
So here's another hard passage. Jesus said it would be better for someone to have a millstone around their neck and drown in the sea than to despise a little one in their community. So God is inviting us to a community where we honor and remember the little ones. Jesus goes further and then tells a parable of the 99 sheep and the shepherd. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. So in our lives as Christians, we are called to care for the vulnerable, even at the expense sometimes of the majority. And our parable comes at the very end of this chapter. So our parable for today is the climax of Jesus' teaching on what a Christian community will look like. So in this parable, Jesus is saying that a Christian community will offer forgiveness over and over and over again. In verse 21, we see Peter, I love Peter, you guys. Peter is always asking the questions that I wanna ask or stating the obvious. So maybe Peter just had a fight with one of his disciples, maybe John was having special access to Jesus or something, but he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, can I forgive a brother or sister seven times? Is that good? Are we cool? And Jesus, of course, is probably, well, I can't know, but I'm guessing he would be exasperated and maybe a little annoyed because Jesus knows that this forgiveness business, we can't quantify it, we can't calculate it, we can't even put a limit on it. So Jesus radically responds and he says, no, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times, or in some translations, seven times, 70 times. So Jesus is illustrating that in his community, in a community marked by God's ways, forgiveness is always applicable. It's an always applicable kind of situation. So going back to our parable, there's a king who has a ton of money and a king whose servant owes him a ton of money. So different commentaries will give you different numbers, but one said that the amount of money that he owed would be equal to 150,000 years worth of wage money. So this would be an amount of money that you could never repay. And the servant we see pleads with the king, and the king is merciful and repays this debt that is unrepayable. And then the servant, right after being forgiven, runs out, grabs his servant, chokes him, and tells him he has to repay him like 20 bucks or something. So it's a crazy and convicting parable, and it doesn't end there. Because then the king, he hears what happens, and he goes to the servant, and he says, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And then the text says, he hands him over to be tortured. The next verse, though, is even more a punch in the gut. The next verse says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. I'll just be honest with you guys, my first reaction to this is I want to, I want to, you know, work around it somehow, there's a loophole, or I don't know about this, I'd like to just look it over, you know, interpret it in a nice, smooth, cool way. But then I remember the Lord's Prayer, 
And I remember at the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And as part of the Lord's Prayer, he says, we forgive our debtors as we are forgiven. And then he ends after the Lord's Prayer, he adds this aside. And so I'm going to read this to you. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ah! This is not the Jesus that I remember, the nice Jesus from Sunday school. Jesus is not messing around. He's letting his followers of his new kingdom coming from heaven know that forgiveness is of the utmost importance in the kingdom of God. The moral of Jesus' parable is this. As Christians, we are called to forgive because first, God in Jesus Christ forgave us everything. In Luke 6, verses 35, Jesus reminds us that God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And we are God's children, so we are also called to be merciful as our Father is merciful. After hearing the parable and hearing me recap it, you might still be wrestling and wondering, what does this mean? Does this mean that my forgiveness is conditional on my performance? Can I potentially unearn God's forgiveness? Is this a tit-for-tat type of situation? What is going on? Rather, I think the point of this parable is that God's forgiveness and our forgiveness go hand in hand, just like God's unforgiveness and our unforgiveness go hand in hand. Jesus, I think, is actually being gracious to his disciples and letting them know that in the kingdom of God, this is how it works. He's letting them know the physics of the kingdom of God. So I can't see if you're going to do this, but I invite you to put your hands in front of you, cup them out in front of you like this, and we're going to kind of see how this might work. So imagine your hands are filled with judgments and bitterness over your child who ate the last, or I don't know, drank all the milk, or who knows what you're bitter about, but it's just filled with judgment and bitterness and unforgiveness, and so that's filling your hands. And here is God, and God's wanting to pour out his love and his goodness and his mercy on you, but you don't have any room in your hands because it's filled with your desire to punish others and to withhold God's grace from others. So that's kind of the physics of forgiveness that Jesus is getting at in our passage. Um, On this slide, you can see kind of what I mean. When we are willing to let go of the things that we've been holding on to, then God has room to pour out and lavish on us his goodness, grace, and love. The word torture in this parable is shocking. And it's a way to show that Jesus takes our forgiveness seriously. And that there can even be physical consequences in our world for unforgiveness. As I was preparing for this sermon, I read a few different articles that were linking mental health to unforgiveness, that were linking some physical ailments to unforgiveness. So I think, again, Jesus is trying to be gracious and letting us know it will not go well for you. It will not go well for us when we withhold forgiveness from others. This parable is revealing that our addictions 
to judgment, to all caps, Facebook rants, to canceling people, to punishing people, it's not gonna go well for us as individuals, as communities, and as a church. I've heard, um, I forget where I heard it, but it's been really helpful for me. Someone described forgiveness as taking poison yourself and then expecting the other person to die. This is not the abundant life that God has in mind for us. God wants us to be open to his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. The first time I began to discover the miraculous power of forgiveness in my own life was when I forgave a friend, um, we'll call her Sarah, for something that at the time I had been bitter and kind of nursing resentments about for a while, but I didn't actually even realize I was holding on to all this bitterness. But I was meeting with a pastor and he invited me to go through a deeper prayer of forgiveness. And so I did that and it was hard, but it was beautiful. And I kind of felt this weight come off of me. And then a week or so later, she called me and I was raising um, ministry funds at the time. And so she called me and said, and I hadn't talked with her in a year. And she called me and said, hey, Michelle, can I support you for $200 a month? And that was like a huge amount, way more than anyone else was supporting me. And she was like super, didn't have a lot of money, had just graduated from college. And so I was just so struck by how a few weeks ago, she was this enemy that I was nursing resentments toward. And then through the power of forgiveness, we had become friends and she had become one of my biggest supporters. So as I began to let forgiveness come into my own life, I began to hear other stories of power being released through obedient acts of forgiveness. So before I moved back to California, I lived in Washington State for a few years, and I was a jail chaplain in a small county jail. And so the story I'm gonna share is a story about a friend, my friend Ramon, and so this was a story that we really celebrated in our community. Um, the end of the story. But so at the time of this story, Ramon was in jail for a crime that he did not commit. And one of my colleagues had come in to lead a Bible study to invite inmates to receive God's forgiveness and if they were willing to be invited to offer forgiveness to others. And so Ramon's brother had been killed by someone in a really violent act. Um, and he, in that moment of invitation, he decided to forgive the man that killed his brother, and he decided to forgive the woman that falsely accused him. And so first off, that act of forgiveness is really courageous and really crazy, and I don't honestly know if I would be up to doing that, but what happened after um, was pretty amazing. So a week or so after, the woman who had falsely accused him called um, his lawyer and admitted that they had made it up. And so a few weeks later, he was acquitted and released um, from jail. So this example, um, I'm not saying that always happens, but it just kind of show, showed me the power of forgiveness and how before I had viewed forgiveness as nice feelings that I could try and manufacture or muster up on my own. And this showed me that no, forgiveness is a gift and a miracle and power from God that I can't manufacture on my own. So in a little bit, we're gonna take communion together um, and we're gonna remember God's forgiveness for ourselves. 
But before we do that, I just want to clarify um, a few myths around forgiveness that have really cheapened forgiveness and often made forgiveness actually as a weapon against people who are already hurting. So I just invite you, some of you probably know a lot of this, but I'm just going to share a few myths um, so we really know what God is talking about when he talks about forgiveness. So number one, one myth is that forgiveness is about forgetting or minimizing sin, saying it wasn't that bad, it doesn't really matter. But no, minimizing sin is wrong and not how God forgives us. Miroslav Volf, he's um, this fancy theologian dude, and he talks about how if we are to forgive like God, God accuses us first. God names our sin. So when we forgive others, we have to sit in the pain and the hurt, and we have to be real with God and with ourselves that what they did was wrong and the ways that it hurt us. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't force people to go past their hurt quickly. We can't minimize their hurt or their pain, but we have to be willing to sit with them in their pain, to lament with them, to show them the Psalms that will help give them words to cry out to God. So that's our role as brothers and sisters in Christ. And after we've done that, only then could we invite them into forgiveness. Lastly, there's a myth that forgiveness means you have to be buddies and maintain relationship with someone. That is reconciliation, which is beautiful, but not always possible this side of heaven. So forgiveness means you are simply giving God this person. You're saying, God, I don't want to worry about them anymore. Them and their punishment, it's up to you, God. So you don't have to maintain relationship when you forgive. And I already said finally, but this is actually the final one. The final one is that forgiveness is a process. Sometimes it can happen instantaneously, but sometimes it will take our whole lives. So forgiveness can be like an onion where you're peeling back layers. So now that we have delved a little bit deeper into God's teaching on forgiveness, today is Communion Sunday. And communion is a time where we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, how he gave up his body and his blood so that we could be forgiven and made new. So I welcome you if you have your communion elements. John, I think, posted a video that you just need a solid and a liquid. Um, now would be the time to gather those elements. So make sure you have some type of bread and then some type of liquid. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So now I invite you to please receive the body of Christ that has been broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So please receive the blood of Christ shed for your sins and for the forgiveness of your sins. Since we've now participated in a means of grace, reminding us of God's sacrifice and that he has lavishly forgiven us all of our sins, I'm going to lead us in a really simple prayer um, to offer forgiveness to another person. So as Wilson comes back up, I'll lead us in a simple prayer. And if this sermon has sparked any more interest in forgiveness and you want to go deeper in this work, feel free to email pastors at livingspring.com and we can pray deeper with you and we have a lot of resources that we would love to share with you. Um, Because this is just the beginning, this is just um, sparking forgiveness in the prayer we're going to do today. So I don't know your story or what has gone on in your life or what you're holding on to, but I do know that God is with you and you're weeping and you're suffering and God wants you to open your hands, even if it's just a little pinky. My professor used to say that. Um, even if you just want to want to forgive, God um, wants that openness so then he can pour even more of his love and his goodness on you. And remember, even if you don't feel it, forgiveness is never about our own selves, but it's always a gift and a grace from God. So please close your eyes and pray with me. God, we thank you that we have received your forgiveness, God. You say throughout the Bible that when one sinner repents, you rejoice and you celebrate, God. So we thank you for the forgiveness that we have received from you. So God, right now, if there's one person you just want to bring to mind who you want us to offer forgiveness to, God, would you reveal that person to us? And Lord, we don't want to hold on to that person anymore. We hand that person over to you, Jesus, and we confess for the ways that we have also hurt them. And God, we release them to you by your power. And by your power and your love, we bless them, Jesus. And we pray all of this in your powerful name, God. Amen. In closing, I wanted to share a concrete sign of God's mercy this past Sunday. So it was early in the morning and my mom um, yells upstairs, Michelle, come down. There's a morning dove that is visiting us. And she said, maybe it's Jesus. But I was really tired and groggy, so I was like, whatever, mom. Um, And I come downstairs. But then later I looked it up and according to Wikipedia, morning doves are said to encourage healing after one lets go of emotional baggage. They represent forgiveness, release, peace, and finally moving on or forward. And I was already working on this sermon and it just felt like God reminded me that he sees me and my measly attempts at forgiveness and he sees all of us as we attempt to release those that we are holding on to and he is gracious to us and he is merciful towards us. Um, So this week, as things might be hard, relationships and uncertain times um, can be difficult, I just invite you to remember that God is with you and that God longs um, to bestow his mercy and his forgiveness on you. So as we do each week, I invite you to please stand wherever you are and to be ready for the blessing. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.